the Best Health for Us podcast for employees of Wake Forest Baptist Health. Hey guys, welcome to another week of the Best Health for Us podcast. I'm Elizabeth Meinhart, Communications Manager for Best Health for Us, and I'm here with Jane Wise. Did I say that right, Jane? Did I say yeah, that? yeah. Still adjusting to that last name. <laughs> I know. I immediately want to say Anderson, and I'm like, that's all right. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I am a dietitian with the Best Health for Us team. How's it going? How's your self care been this past week? Good. I say that, and then I'm thinking about what have I done to take care of myself this week. <laughs> but actually, I have mentioned this before, and this is such a uh, a priority for me, which I will talk about more because that relates to today's podcast. Uh, but I, I do really try to go to yoga, um, at least one day a week at uh, the employee fitness center. There's an instructor named Karen who is, is excellent and, and teaches a class at 1215 nearly every day. I think it's Tuesday through Friday and, um, and changes it up every time. But, um, that has been my, my real effort. I, I didn't make it the last couple of weeks. So I made an effort to go today and I always leave feeling, uh, rejuvenated. (laughs) We did some spinal twist and she told us, I'm I'm not sure I'll I'll look up the science on this later, but she said that spinal twist, which is kind of simply like turning. (laughs) Yeah. We can ask yoga turning is really hard actually. (laughs) Maybe we can ask a physical therapist (laughs) to back this up in a few weeks. But, uh, but she said that that can increase blood flow and make you kind of giggly for the rest of the day. Oh, interesting. I believe the blood flow part. Cause like, Mm -hmm. you know, that's all about getting, you know, your spinal pieces to separate a little bit and stand, sit a little taller and stand a little taller. So that I believe that. Yeah. I do (laughs) always leave literally feeling a little taller because it's it's so much, um, posture work. So, um, so that, that was my, uh, uh, attempt this week at self-care and, um, yeah, it was great. What about you? Last week, I will say you sent me a lovely photo of, um, your, your self-care from last week of (laughs) your driveway being cleaned. I was like, this is totally self-care after I saw that. (laughs) So drastic. Yeah. 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 So it looks great. (laughs) I'm still appreciating it. So (laughs) wonderful. Well, this week I fell back on a tried and true myself as well. I just did it every day. I took a bubble bath every single day. This week. Yeah, <laughs> actually, this is this is perfect, Elizabeth, that you said that because today's podcast, which is one of our empowering you sessions, is featuring um, one of our our own, which all of our empowering you sessions are featuring some of our own Wake Forest staff members. But this is Suzanne Danhauer, and she's a psychologist actually specializes on, um, well-being professional well-being. And so the, the title of her talk is work-life balance. She said in her talk, Elizabeth, that you won't find her a day without having taken a bubble bath (laughs) So for her own well-being. I think I remember that correctly. Something like that. Um, but, but she gave this talk back in January, I think that maybe early February. Yeah. And she is so knowledgeable about well-being and in researches it with faculty and um and so she's really a wealth of information so i'm excited to share that one example um uh, from that talk that i i frequently tell people is you can never achieve and i'm quoting her essentially here so she deserves <laughs> some credit <laughs> You can never achieve work-life balance, total balance. You're never going to be spending the exact same amount of time doing work things, personal things, uh, family relationship things. So it's more about 
looking at what is fulfilling for you and, and then making that a priority. So for some people work is really fulfilling for them. And so they do spend more time doing that Um, for a lot of people. It's, it's their personal life and, and their kids or um, being with their parents who they're, who are aging and they're taking care of or that kind of thing. And so it's really making that a priority. That's very fulfilling for them. So, um, so that is a takeaway that's really stuck with me over, you know, a couple of months later. So there's much more rich information that she shared, great examples and, um, yeah, I'm excited to to share it with on our podcast too. Yeah. Well, and I will say like, it's nice to have a kind of different way to kind of spin the work-life balance, right? Because you always feel like you're failing. So to have a different way to frame it. Um, and I feel like that's so much what I get out of this podcast. Like when we interviewed you and Katie and I got reframing of junk food, right? So reframing <laughs> of work-life balance. So this is so great. I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah. I know it, it actually feels, um, kind of liberating with that, like seeing that I don't have to put this pressure on myself to, um, to mm-hmm. make everything so even, or, um, I, I often say even with eating as an example too, that thinking about perfectionism is exhausting, but thinking about prioritizing and, and overall balance like that is motivating to keep doing that. So I think that this, this will be a good one to listen to you. And hopefully uh, you guys will find some things that you can use in the future, just like I did. So have a good week and we'll see you next time. My name is Suzanne Danhauer. I am a tenured professor in the Department of Social Sciences and Health Policy in the Division of Public Health Sciences. I am a clinical health psychologist by training. I've been here at Wake Forest since 2003 uh, for my Seven years, I was one of the cancer center psychologists, and much of what I do these days is clinical research with cancer patients and post-treatment survivors, um, and a lot of that's focused on behavioral or behavioral or psychological or mind-body interventions. I also have a huge interest in positive psychology. I've taught several courses in that over on the Wake Forest University Ronaldo campus, and have given lectures in that with medical students and our women faculty. And I've uh, worked with Gallup um, and trained as a strength and talent coach. And what I'm really excited about is figuring out things that we can do to not just not be um, distressed and depressed and anxious, but figure out how we can really enhance our sense of well-being. Um, I'm the director of faculty well-being and resilience in our Office of Faculty Affairs. And get to do a lot of that work there. And I really think that this integration topic um, fits well under this this, um, well-being umbrella. So just on a personal note, I have four sons. Um, Two of them have ADHD. They go from ages uh, seven up through 16. And uh, we also have a somewhat socially awkward hound dog. Um, Hopefully this adds a little bit of personal credibility Uh, to what I've learned about work-life integration over the years, in addition to my work as a psychologist. And that picture up on the is a picture of virtual learning, um, as I'm sure many of you um, continue to experience. So just to give you a little little outline of where we're headed, I want to talk briefly about uh, the term work-life integration. I'm going to talk a lot about some ideas that I really, that resonated with me from a book called Off Balance up for some discussion questions, and Jane was kind enough to send those in advance, so hopefully 
all have gotten those, and, and we can talk as a group and use the, the chat if needed. Um, and then I'll just some resources and links at the end. So many, we, we've all heard the term work-life balance. It's been widely used. And <clears throat> when I hear that, I really think that it implies that our personal and our professional lives um, can be separate or distinct, and that we can somehow balance um, these different parts of our lives. And um, I'll talk later about how this type of balance really isn't possible. Um, I think that the term work-life integration is probably a better term. It takes into account the interaction between um, the personal and professional parts of our lives. So work-life integration is a huge topic to talk about in an hour. Um, I'm going to offer a lot of material and questions for reflection, but today is just the start of the conversation. I hope that you'll take some of the tools um, that we talk about and reflect on them further. What I'm not going to talk about, though, is time management. Sometimes I think when people hear about work-life balance or work-life integration, you know, it's about scheduling and time and all of that. And I'm going to talk about some um, ideas that are a bit different from that. So the book that you see here is by an author named Matthew Kelly. It's called Off Balance, Getting Beyond the Work-Life Balance Myth to Personal and Professional Satisfaction. And I read, I've read it a couple times, and the ideas in it really resonated with me, and so I'm hoping some of them resonate with you as well. But the, the pieces in it that we're going to cover are what you see here in green. So let's start with this myth of work-life balance that I started to mention just a minute ago. So there are some events in our lives that are personal and others that are clearly professional, but you don't have two lives you know, a personal life and a professional life. You have one life, we all have one life, that has personal and professional aspects. And these aspects have an incredible influence on another. So for those who have had children, you know that having a child is incredibly personal, yet it affects our professional life in huge ways. Losing a loved one is personal, um, but can have profound effects on our professional lives. Meeting our work goals is overwhelmingly professional, um, but it affects our personal lives. Working with patients, with team members is professional, but what happens in these situations with people in the workplace certainly affects our personal lives. And I venture to say that it's impossible to truly attain balance, um, so to speak. We cannot separate the personal from the professional, and any divide between these two is really um, a false divide. I mean, it sounds great in theory to completely separate your personal from your professional lives, but in reality, it doesn't really work. So I want to ask you this question here. If you had to choose between balance and satisfaction, which would you choose? This question is more rhetorical. You don't have to answer it, um, but just answer it for yourself. But when this question was asked, of more than 10,000 people, um, you know, if you had to make this choice between balance and satisfaction, not a single person chose balance over satisfaction with their lives. And so what is it that people need and want? And I venture to say that people want to live deeply satisfying lives, both personally and professional, professionally, and want to know um, that both are, in fact, possible at the same time. 
So let's start to think about the, the life that you really want. So I'm going to give you some questions to ponder, and I'm guessing many of you have pondered these questions in the past, but just to set the stage a little bit. What do you like about your life as it is today? <clears throat> what don't you like about your life as it is today? Do you feel trapped by any of the things that you don't like about your life? If you went to the doctor next week and learned that you were dying and had one year to live, how would you spend the next year? If you inherited $10 billion, what would you do with the rest of your life? And what would you do with the money? And here's one that gets really concrete. If you could change three things about your life, what would they be? And I think part of the point here is that we need to be really intentional to enjoy a life that is deeply satisfying. And every life and every decision that we make about our time comes at a cost. Every choice that we make eliminates, excuse me, other options, and those are other options are part of the cost involved in the life that we choose to live. And so life is really about saying yes to those things that help us become the best version of ourselves and no to the things that don't. And so as our awareness grows, we become mindful that we're constantly making choices and that every choice causes us to become a better or a lesser version of ourselves. I want to talk about satisfaction with life. Um, we know that having a sense of accomplishment, whether it's personal or professional, leads to tremendous satisfaction. We all need and thrive on a sense of accomplishing something. And that sense of accomplishment brings with it the reward of huge satisfaction. Both intense work and complete detachment from work can be parts of a deeply satisfying life. Interviews were done with a whole, with a large number of, you know, here it's called work-life balance champions, like dozens of them. Now, they didn't self-identify as work-life balance champions. People in the workplace, you know, when asked, who would you, who would you say is a champion at the work-life balance game, um, they were identified. And so they were then interviewed and to find out more about them and, you know, how they were able to, quote, balance their, their work and their professional and their, their personal lives. And the bottom line founding from all of, finding from all of these interviews is this, is that these people were actually kind of surprised to be named work-life balance champions and that, you know, they, they basically said, I'm no champion of work-life balance. Um, and they, they didn't feel like they were excelling at what their peers who nominated them um, thought work-life balance was. So here are the ways that they described themselves. They work a lot. You know, they're really hard workers. Um, they, they have a sense of satisfaction after a long and hard work day. Um, they were not people who could control their lives to perfectly allocate um, equal portions of time and energy and attention um, to both the personal and the professional. You know, they, they readily admitted that these were messy and not at all balanced for them. But what they did say is that they were all people who were achieving at high levels professionally, who also had really great personal lives, and in having both of those described a profound sense of 
satisfaction with their lives. This diagram, or this, this figure, is a model that was created by the American Medical Association. And in it, you can see that professional satisfaction is fueled by a number of factors. You know, and so basically people enjoying the people that they work with, um, feeling respected in the workplace, feeling like their work is making a contribution to other people's lives, um, find that the challenge of their work is well-matched to their abilities, and they know why they go to work each day. Now, I don't just mean a paycheck there, a paycheck and benefits, but a why in terms of um, purpose, you know, greater purpose beyond their work. And you see that these aspects of professional satisfaction are reflected here by this model, and this is used to represent engagement or even joy in medicine. And it includes the things that you see here, meaning in work, sense of community in work, work-life integration, control, flexibility, all these sorts of things kind of work together um, to promote professional satisfaction. So you were all kind enough, or many of you were kind enough to complete the, the brief survey uh, that we sent out in advance, and I really appreciate you taking the time to do it. I hope that it wasn't too long, but I've basically embedded data from this group um, into the, the slides here um, to frame these ideas around life satisfaction and priorities. And just so you know, I've also included links to each of these measures at the end in case you want to go back and <clears throat> look at your responses or take it again or share it with other people you know. So first, what you see here is there, you may recall, is that you completed this ladder of life, just a very brief life satisfaction rating. You did three of them. I've reported two of them here. And, and so these are to rate, you know, how you, your personal life at the current time and your professional life at the current time. And so the ratings here, um, you'll see that the numbers on the left or the y-axis represent the ratings from 0 to 10. And the numbers across the bottom reflect the number of people who had that particular rating. And so it looks like most, but not all, of the ratings for this group on the personal and professional satisfaction items <clears throat> were either high, and that's above the green line, or in the middle, that's, and that's between the green and the red line. And you'll see that there are a few in that area below the red line as well. And so the numbers above that first green line are in, in what um, is called the kind of the thriving zone where well-being is um, strong and it's consistent with positive views of a person's present life situation. People in this zone tend to report fewer health problems, less worry, stress, sadness, anger, and that sort of thing, and higher levels of happiness and enjoyment. The ones in the middle, you know, this, this could be looked at as the, more the struggling zone, well-being that is either moderate or inconsistent. People here <clears throat> may report more daily stress and worry or more health problems than those are who are in the higher category. And then there are several people at the bottom where well-being is certainly at higher risk. <clears throat> and these are relatively poor ratings of current life situation, likely have higher levels of stress or worry or sadness or anger and may experience um, more health problems. Now, similarly, you completed another um, 
measure, and this one is called the Satisfaction with Life Scale. It's probably the, the most well-known and widely used measure um, of satisfaction with life. And like I said, there's a link in the resources at the end. And looking at these data, you'll see that most people in the group who responded were, were in one of the satisfied zones, while several were also in the slightly dissatisfied or satisfied range, and someone reported being extremely dissatisfied with life. And I, I share all this because I think it's really important to look at our own levels of satisfaction as we look at the interface of our professional and personal lives. And I also think it's helpful, you know, because we only have our own experiences, but it can be really helpful to see just how wide the spread is and how people's scores, you know, kind of show up all across the board on something. I'm going to shift gears a little bit and talk about priorities. So we all know our, our priorities guide our choices, and so I'm going to talk about <clears throat> several key principles under that idea here. And many of this, many of these ideas are not new, um, but hopefully a pulled together reminder of things that, that um, most of us already know. So the first one is we cannot have it all. <clears throat> and so the work-life balance discussion has really failed um, to make it clear that we can't actually have it all. You know, we have to choose between many options in deciding what to do on any given day or in any given hour. And I can say, you know, from a personal standpoint, you know, I have a really um, wonderful and high-demand career, and I have a wonderful and high-demand family, and I, you know, and feel like, you know, if if I have it all, it's probably having different parts of my life that are important to me at different times, but probably not having all the things that are important in play at the same time, um, because our time, our time is limited. Um, <clears throat> I think talking about priorities, this question that here is an important one. Could anyone gather enough evidence to prove that what I say are my priorities actually are? So. There, you know, people may list out what they say that their priorities are, but sometimes our behavior makes it look a bit different. But I, and we're going to talk about generating a list of priorities, and I shared that worksheet already that we'll talk through. But I think it's really critical to have a very clear list of priorities and even to order it so that it is unwavering and can be used in times when we have you know, great opportunities or things come in front of us and we have decisions to make so that we're making our decisions um, that are in line with the things that we say are, are absolutely our most important priorities. <clears throat> and I think a really important concept here is to not sacrifice our higher priorities um, for our lower ones. And so once you have that list, and for some of you, it's probably very clear and you know exactly what it is, and, and some of us may need to think a little bit harder and put it down in writing. But once you have it, it's really important to keep that list in front of you and to keep it especially close when you're making decisions. And that this next idea is one that life is all about continuous change. And so as things change, and change crazy fast, 
it's critical to know which values are truly non-negotiable for you. You know, so in moments of decision um, or in moments of crisis or when you're presented with an amazing opportunity, <clears throat> you can pull out and look at your list of priorities and ask, how will this help me to become or hinder me from becoming uh, the best version of myself? And so a defined set of priorities is a way to solidify what is unchanging in our lives. We live in this world of rapid and constant and continuous change, and, and change that happens so quickly can be disorienting. And so the only way to thrive in an environment of change is to know what is truly non-negotiable for you. And then there's this idea of being kidnapped by the urgent. <clears throat> you know, our lives can, can be kidnapped by this, this thing that's in front of us that needs our response or needs something from us immediately. And, and this simply means, as kidnapped by the urgent, that we give our attention, and I'd venture to say our intention, um, to whatever is most urgent in front of us. And the problem with this is that the most important things in life are hardly ever the things that are the most urgent. At times they are, I don't mean to discount that, but sometimes you know, we'll, we'll have something that we just feel like we need to respond to quickly, but it may not be as important as something else that's far less urgent. I'm sure many of you have seen that, um, I think it's Stephen Covey, it's got the quadrants um, in terms of urgency and importance. And it shows that many of us are responding or spending much of our time in the <clears throat> urgent, non-important domain, you know, responding to emails and things like that. And, um, and so I'm just suggesting figuring out ways to focus on what may not be as, as urgent but is really critical and important. So this word cloud contains the priorities, and many of them shortened to one or two words, that you all shared with me. So there were almost 200 responses that I crunched down to get the cloud that you see here. And so take a peek. And the themes that you see here, <clears throat> the first and what I see come through the most, most clearly is right there in the middle. I see lots of words that prioritize relationships. Family, friends, people, children, kids, marriage, good mother, church family, good wife. Um, you know, you can see these all throughout here. The second most common um, seem to be about health, um, physical health, mental health, self-care, healthy diet, sleep, fitness, and reducing stress. There are some words related to work, <clears throat> job, career, work environment, etc. And then there are lots of others. And this is where it's neat because you know, everyone's priorities are probably going to differ. Um, you know, some may be similar, but some of them are vastly different. And this is where some of the variety comes into play. See community, financial stability, becoming debt-free, reducing debt, faith, religion, personal development, adventure, fun, learning, etc. You know, lots of different words come into play. And so despite some of the commonalities, there's a lot of variability here, and this really emphasizes the importance of knowing which are your highest priorities. So our priorities guide our choices. So if you've got that handout I sent you, feel free to pull it out. Um, it, it contains 
a worksheet with a process re reflecting on your priorities and how you order them. And what you see here, this just kind of lists out how you do it. <clears throat> you know, you make a list of the most important aspects of your life for your life as a whole, you know, personal and professional, and not trying to separate them out. And then reduce that list to about five or six of the things that you consider to be the most important aspects of your life. And, <clears throat> excuse me, in this exercise, you decide kind of one by one as you look at each pair, which is more important than the other. You know, which is more important to you, my finances or my family? You know, family, and you put a check mark next to family. And so you put a check mark next to each one that has a yes response. And, and then you basically order them um, by the number of check marks. And so, there's my little sheet. You all, you all got this, but this is the one that I'm talking about, is that, you know, the one that's in this example is the, the um, person listed out health, children, work or career, social life, extended family, and finances. And so what you do is you, you choose by going by first on that list and the one that's listed is health. And you, you compare it or, you know, contrast it with each of the ones under it, you know, which is more important to me, my health or my children? <clears throat> and you put an X or a check mark next to the one, which is more important to me, my health or my work? You know, and then you put a check mark. And then after you've done that for the first one, you go down to the second one, you compare it with each one below it so that ultimately you're going to have um, the most check marks next to one and, and the least next to another, and you simply order them by the number of check marks, and then can use this to basically, um, and, and in this example, if you read through it, extended family doesn't necessarily make the top five list. And so while it's still important, um, it doesn't um, finish up on the list person's ultimate priorities. And so I think this is a really useful exercise to go through and then to keep this list front and center for you as you're making decisions about your commitments and your time. <clears throat> so I want to talk about energy. So first, <clears throat> you know, there's this question you see here, how long can you hold a glass of water? And if we were in the same place, um, I would ask someone to volunteer and then ask that person um, to hold a glass of water out straight in front of him or her. And initially, the person would just have to stand and hold it out straight for as long as possible. Now, the next time, several volunteers come up and are instructed that they're required to hold the glass of water straight out in front for one minute at a time, but between those times, they're allowed to take a break for 20 seconds. And in most cases, People can hold the glass for one-minute intervals <clears throat> indefinitely when they can build in that break. And so this question about how long can you hold a glass of water really depends on how long you have to hold it for without breaks. And it really speaks to this whole idea um, of our energy and what energizes us. So <clears throat> knowing how to balance the activities in our life to maximize our energy is a really important skill. So some people can hold the glass for longer than others because some people have more energy than others. 
or perhaps more strengths. But in the same way, our experience of life expands with the more energy that we have. So our capacity for life increases with our energy level. Your ability to embrace and absorb and enjoy all of the good things in life and your ability to respond and react um, to the not-so-good things in life depend on the amount of energy that you have. And so knowing how to balance various activities in our lives to maintain the most energy is one of the most important skills that we can learn and develop. And so each of us personally has to decide how long we hold our proverbial glass of water and what sorts of breaks we need from holding that glass. <clears throat> so if you think about all of the things that you do in a professional capacity, I'm guessing that some of these activities really energize you, and some of them may drain you quite a bit. And the same is true when you think about the activities that make up your personal life. You know, some of them are energizing. You know, I can think snuggling and reading with my seven-year-old is a whole lot more energizing than having to unload the dishwasher for the 15th time in a weekend. You know, you think about the things that we do all the time. Some are energizing, some are draining. And it's really important to be aware of the people, the places, the things, and the activities that help enhance our energy. <clears throat> now, I'm not su suggesting that you stop doing all that drains your energy. I mean, you know, for many things, we don't really have that choice. What I am suggesting, though, is that we try to be more intentional about increasing what energizes us and decreasing those things that deplete us, you know, the things that might serve little or no purpose or unnecessarily drain our energy, or the things that we quickly say yes to and quickly regret saying yes to um, because we know that they're not things that really um, feed our energy. <clears throat> I thought some of you might get a kick out of this one. Is, uh, Caffeine seems to be a common energy source for many of us. I'm fully aware, you know, despite COVID and, you know, losing sense of time that we're in February and not November, but I really like this slide. Um, <clears throat> emphasizing this notion of saying no to the people and things in our lives that can drain our energy and being really intentional about saying yes to those things that light us up and um, replenish our energy. So I wanted to take some time <clears throat> um, to reflect on some questions, and hopefully some of you will be willing to share um, some of your responses and ideas. Um, and hopefully people can, I'm going to remove this, this slide, so if you don't have the handout, feel free to just snap a quick picture of it. If you've got the handout, you can use that. But I want, I'll just remove the slide in just a minute, and we can take some time um, to really talk as a group. But these are the questions that are all <clears throat> open for discussion. You know, what are the things that help me become the best version of myself? How can I best increase my talents and skills? Where do I find genuine satisfaction, personally, professionally, in my relationships, you know, things like that? What are my priorities? What energizes me? Um, and then there's this one at the bottom, how can I be a batteries included type of person? Um, and that 
is basically talking about a person who brings who brings energy and who brings kind of a positive attitude and sense um, to situations in life. And so these are the questions that I will open up to you. And you're welcome to talk or use the chat feature. I'll add if people are, are thinking right now that we did a book club this um, over the past like six weeks or so. And the first book was 10% Happier by Dan Harris. And, um, and that was thinking about like what energizes you. Uh, I think meditation, that's a big thing for, for, um, for that book. And that's something that um, since, since we read that and I was the one who was facilitating it, but that opened my eyes to how meditation can bring energy and perspective for, for seeing priorities. That's a great one. Thank you, Jane. I have not read that book, but I've heard good things about it. Uh, hey, this is Milena. Hi, Susan. I was hoping you would talk, Milena. <laughs> so good to see you. Um, I would be uh, curious to know, you know, um, just from your, your personal uh, experience, you know, what are some tools and, uh, and practices that you have to just, you know, balance at all uh, to share at the beginning, you know, the photo of your family and the exit. I'm having a hard time hearing you. I heard what are tools and then I didn't hear anything after that. Uh, just about that or, or practices that you do to help you balance balance it all. Um, I can tell you personally the few things that I do and the things that I do all the time. I walk and I walk a lot. Um, and I walk without music or an, um, uh, podcasts or anything. And so I walk with um, a lot of quiet to actually have time to think. <clears throat> Hopefully this one's not too personal, but I find myself in my bathtub every night of my life um, because it's quiet there. Um, and it's, it's like this really great, um, for me, transition where it leaves me sort of just warm and quiet before bed. It, you know, this is probably a lot more concrete um, than the stuff I talked about here. Um, but, and I do this at sometimes better than others, but if there's anything that I can throw into a slow cooker or an instant pot that makes meals really easy, um, I do. Um, and I cook soup like nobody's business because I can get about, you know, 20 meals out of a single pot. Um, so those are just like really concrete things that, that I do. I'm curious what 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 you can add. Those are really helpful. Um, as you know, I'm I'm a runner, and I think the suggestion of running, you know, quietly, I think it's more beneficial than listening to crazy music. Even though I guess depending on the day, but that's helpful. And I know for a lot of people, music is incredibly energizing. Um, and and I don't mean to discount that, but I find that I'm introverted, and my house is a loud place. <clears throat> and so being able to go places to get quiet um, is something that helps to energize me. Hi, Suzanne. This is Kimberly. Um, I will just share that recently I've been trying to be really intentional um, with taking like 10 or 15 minutes in the morning to like give myself the space to be intentional with my day. Um, I was finding that I was getting into this pattern of being really reactive. And so I'm trying to like protect that time in the morning, which gives me permission 
to be intentional about how I'm spending my time throughout the day. And so I've been working on that. It's not always successful, um, but that's sort of a mindset shift I'm trying to go through. That's a great one, Kimberly. Thank you for sharing that. And I think, you know, for, for many people, it's really important to take time at the beginning of the day. You know, different people do different things. For some, it's meditation. For some, it's prayer. For some, it's laying out, you know, where they see the day going or setting intentions for the day. You know, I think it can take different forms, but I think taking some time, you know, before just going into autopilot and doing all the things that we do, um, taking time to be thoughtful about it is really powerful. So I appreciate that. I think that was really helpful to consider balance versus satisfaction and how it's tempting to, to think that we can find this fantasy of pure balance and all the things that we um, are managing or responsible for, but considering like what, what satisfaction means. Hey, yeah, I agree. I really loved just sort of seeing that, that contrast between the two, <clears throat> because as much as I've tried to have balance with a lot of things, I, I just, I really don't believe it's possible or it's possible for fleeting moments. <laughs> and then we need to do the things that we're not doing like sleep or um, exercise or, or, you know, fitting in, in other time with family. Well, I'm going to go ahead here and I'm just going to share again and just kind of finish up. So just to, to wind down here, I put, um, you know, a link and title of this book. There's another really great book by Stuart Friedman um, that's about, called Total Leadership, but it's really about a lot of these work-life issues. Um, and then the, uh, the one that's below it is Designing the Life You Love. And I'll admit that I haven't read this one, but <clears throat> our senior associate dean for faculty heard this person speak, and this person is actually a, a, a design person and thought that, she, that there were lots of really useful principles in there. But the Wharton Center at the University of Pennsylvania has tons of articles and blogs and podcasts on topics related to work-life integration. Um, and it's just a wealth of information. Like I said, these are links to the two um, measures that you were kind enough to complete for today. And I really appreciate you doing that. And I am just going to stop there. Um, I love this quote. Almost everything will work again if you unplug it for a few minutes, including you. So I appreciate your time today. And if you have um, feedback or ideas or questions, um, please feel free to be in touch. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Best Health for Us podcast. For employees of Wake Forest Baptist Health, employees can learn more at besthealthforus.com. That's best health, the number four, us.com. Non-employees can check us out at wakehealth.edu slash best health. 